Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, welcome in to the Game Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. Let's get rolling. Uh, I don't normally talk to a lot of other team beat writers just because we get sort of not spoiled, maybe jaded when they're so local. But Ryan Burns was great yesterday on Next Level. Just just, uh, your thoughts there. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, and uh, how how cliche is this, right? You talk about Midwestern charm and and – uh, being polite and all those things. Well, Ryan checked all those boxes. Uh, but it is, you make a great point, Tommy. There's so many FBS programs, not only in the state of North Carolina, but in the surrounding states. I mean, if you, if you live in uh, Chapel Hill, you can get down to Atlanta in five, six hours. Uh, you can get down to Clemson in five hours. You can get to Virginia, you get to Virginia Tech. Uh, you used to be able to get to Maryland pretty easily. There's a lot of very close schools, and very rarely did Carolina, especially in football, play teams that are a long way away. And they've never played Minnesota before. I've never been. I've flown through Minnesota. Uh, St. Paul's a lovely airport, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever. I don't know if I've ever been in the state of Minnesota at all, even dipping in on an airplane. That's kind of wild. But I think, I think if you just look at the message board thread that, that Ryan started, which is kind of an interactive thread between the Minnesota board and, and IC. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the count's up to, but there's got to be like 1,500 comments in that thread and 50 pages. And it's all cordial and polite because nobody knows each other. That's the great thing, right? I mean, it's <laughs> like, you can't offend me because we've never had a past, uh, which I think is great. That's one of the cool things about college athletics. That's one of the, the best things about traveling uh, to bowl games football-wise, but to a lot of these uh, preseason, early season basketball tournaments, in addition to the postseason stuff, because you just meet new people that you've never, you've never really talked to before, interacted with, um, and you, you start with a fresh slate. And that's the situation with Minnesota. So uh, that will change Saturday night, right, depending Absolutely. on how the, the game turns out. <laughs> um, but, but for the time being, it, it's fresh and it's new and it's exciting. So – it's been it's been a fun week to cover. Yeah, you mentioned the thread. I'm looking at it right now. Seventeen hundred plus comments, uh, <laughs> sixty one thousand plus views. Uh, just a, a fascinating thread. And he said they've done it a lot with teams 
not named Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, and all. So it's pretty cool that Ben and Ryan got together and did that. It's pretty cool that Ryan came on our show to talk about it. If you did not see Next Level on the YouTube version, uh, the audio will be tacked on to the end of this game plan. And so make sure you stay through the commercials or whatever and listen to that if you haven't heard it already because he gives great insight to a lot of things. You know, the row your boat or the row the boat deal that is Minnesota's mantra or, or saying is much deeper than a football game. Fascinating story there. Um, gave you ideas for your trip to Minnesota. If you go see Carolina play at Minnesota next year up there on Labor Day weekend, Sounds like that would be a blast. Might have to get that one done. And check Minnesota off the, uh, you know, one of the coolest things you see campers, they have the map of the United States on the back and folks color in the states they've been to. Might have to check off Minnesota when the Carolina plays up there. Greg, when we look at this game, you, you mentioned things may change. And Ryan said he expected 7,500 folks or so to travel to North Carolina. It's not like you bump into too many Minnesota grads around here. So they all come down and travel. Um, and, and so feelings may change during the game, after the game, or whatever. But this is one thing about uh, this game. It's a non-conference game, and it is a very good test for North Carolina going into the ACC season, starting with Pitt next week. Now, all games are important. You want to win them all. Uh, but to be able to have an opportunity to play a big, tough, known physical football team ahead of Pittsburgh, great for the Tar Heels, I think. No doubt, Tommy. And, and people probably aren't going to like this comment, but I've been pretty forthright with this in, in previous years as well. Unless you expect to contend for the college football playoff, and I don't think this Carolina team is is at that level quite yet, the non-conference games uh, are secondary to your conference games. And if you stack them correctly, meaning you do them in the beginning of the year, which Carolina did last year very successfully, and I think it sets up pretty well this year, you really give your team opportunities to ease into the season for one, but also to play different qualities of teams. Uh, I really like the fact that Carolina was able to go on the road in the season opener uh, it was neutral, but there were more South Carolina fans there than Carolina fans in Charlotte. And they had to play well to win. Okay, you, you fast forward a week, they didn't play as well, but they had a feisty younger brother in App State come into town, and it went to overtime. And Carolina had to figure out how to win with their B or B-minus game. They got it done. Now is that next step. This is a team they're not familiar with, so you don't have the emotion, although – you do have an opportunity to play at home. But next week, as you as you suggest, as you indicate, you go to Pitt. And that's a big game. Mm -hmm. So now you get Minnesota, who has had a great defense the past couple of years. Uh, arguably that the best defense the Carolinas played. You know, Clemson's obviously up there. Um that's gonna be a tough test for Chip Lindsay in this offense. It's, it's a good test for Drake May to see how he performs. And then on the flip side, this we said this last week, right? This is a game that Gene Chizik and the defense need to win for North Carolina. When's the last time we've been able to say, hey, the defense stood up not just on one series or one play, but for the entire game, dictated the game, and won it? 
maybe a little bit in South Carolina, right? But prior to that, it's been very rare. This is one of those unique games, though, where the offense is going to have a hard time because Minnesota's defense is that good. This is an opportunity for the defense to stand tall and say, hey, Drake, we got you. We got you. We're going to handle things. You just give us a couple touchdowns, and we'll be good to go. That is critically important for this defense after what happened against App State, where I didn't think they looked particularly good, for them to be able to bounce back and say, okay, South Carolina wasn't a fluke. We're, we're, we're much improved right now. Because you need that going in the ACC play. If you're hoping to get back to Charlotte for another chance at the ACC championship, they need to figure out how to play well on Saturday. Uh, I, you know, This is a game they're favored to win by eight. I don't think they have to win it to feel good about themselves coming out. I know the fans obviously want them to win it. But a lot of opportunity in this game for North Carolina to kind of clean up some things from the last couple of weeks and really make the case of, hey, this is who we are entering ACC time. Got stat. You always have stats. Let me bring you a stat. Minnesota, since 2017 against FBS teams, you've probably already looked at it. Non-conference F- FBS teams, Minnesota's record. You tell since, me. That's, that's a good one. 19 and one. Whew. There's exactly one team in the country that's better than that against FBS non-conference teams. That team's called Georgia. Alabama, 28 and two. Oklahoma State, 22 and two. Iowa and Penn State, both 20 and two. Minnesota, I don't care about competition. I don't care about any of that. Minnesota is 19 and one in these games since 2017 when Fleck got there. Now, that being said, Minnesota's got some holes and Minnesota has some issues on offense. Greg, digging into Minnesota, and we're waiting on Jason Staples. I hadn't gotten a text back, so I hope he joins us. But hey, Greg and I have been doing this a long time. We can wing it with the best of them. If you haven't checked out Jason's film breakdowns from this week, you can do that in place of Jason if he doesn't make it in tonight. But, Greg, when when you're looking at this game, digging into it, what makes that Minnesota defense as good uh, as you think they're going to play? Um, because I agree with you. Uh, they're just fundamentally sound. Um, and I watched the Nebraska game, and Tommy always joke around, but I'm, I'm a football defense guy through and through. I mean, that that is – I think it's a great thing if you can dominate a game on that side of the ball. It makes things so much easier for your offense and for for everything if you can just limit what the other team can do successfully. And Minnesota does that. Uh, they're solid against the solid against the run. Uh, you know, they've got a good defensive line. They've got some really good players on the back end. They have an All-American at, at safety. There's going to be a top two round draft pick most likely. Um, and so they're not real flashy. But they, they just do a really good job. I mean, you, you, they're holding teams to 38% in terms of third-down conversion. Uh, they've already had a couple picks so far this year. Uh, opponents are averaging 4.6 yards uh, per play, which is really good. Uh, opponent pa- passer rating to 79, and people may say, well, they had not really played anybody. They played Jeff Sims. Fair enough. Last year they held opponents to, to 109 QB rating. Um Strong. I mean, they held opponents to 13.8 points per game last year. Uh, currently, it's, it's eight points. I mean, that's talk about 13.8 points. Uh, those great Carolina defenses back in 96, 97 weren't much better than that. So 
uh, they do a lot of very good things and they're just fundamentally sound. Yeah, that's the thing that stuck out to me. And I listened to, and I posted it on the board, Minnesota's press conference with their players and all, is the attention to detail. And they do all the small things. And that's where, if you watch Jason's breakdowns, North Carolina has struggled, you know, maybe the last few years of being that precise. Now, look, you got to ultimately come out and do it on Saturday against the offense that North Carolina has, who's going to want to run the ball, who's going to have Nate McCollum, people are referencing him in the chat already. Max said he should be good to go. Um, but one thing from Ryan that I got the most for their defense, their defense is good. And and by Ryan, I mean Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated, is that they're worried about Drake May's ability. And Greg, I'll ask you this, and we can talk about it. Is this a game, you mentioned the defense needing to have Drake's back, but this to me feels like a game that, might be the first game of 2023 that Drake May has to shoulder the load. I don't know if that's accurate, but it just feels that way for me. Yeah, you know, I, I think the App State game was, was interesting for a variety of reasons, but one was that uh, they they seem to want to really take away passing lanes for Drake. And what that did is it allowed Drake May to check out of a number of plays. I, mean, I think Chip said he checked out of maybe eight pass plays and and converted them to, to runs uh, for uh, Omarion. So it worked, right? And that's that's what you want to be able to do when, when coaches talk about balance on offense. And this started with you know, Larry Fedora, to Phil Longo, now Chip Lindsey. Balance is not, hey, we're going to pass 50% of the time, we're going to run 50% of the time. It's having the ability to do both given the moment. And App State was willing to take away or wanting to take away Drake at the expense of maybe some run game. And Carolina took advantage of that. So the question is, what does Minnesota do? And kind of to your point about this being an opportunity, uh, you know, you look forward a week. We know what Pat Narduzzi is going to do. He's going to do what he always does, and that's take away the run. And if you beat him through the air, you beat him through the air. Minnesota's not quite that way, but this is a big boy football team. This is a Big Ten football team. I just have a hard time believing that they're going to take the absolute approach of, well, you know, we're going to let them run a little bit, but we just want to make sure we protect ourselves in the passing game. You want to make a team one-dimensional if you can. And so I really do think Minnesota is going to key uh, on that Carolina run game, and that will give Drake May some openings uh, down the field. Now, are there going to be opportunities really down the field, right? Is the deep passing game going to be an option here? Or is he going to have to dink and dunk? Because that's really all Carolina has shown an ability to do. If he can get a cheap one, though, that has the potential to change the complete course of this game. Because I don't know that this Minnesota offense has a lot of bullets in the chamber. Uh, they're going to have to really struggle to score points. And I think if Drake can hit a few easy ones, I mean, it's going to be a hard time for Carolina not to win this game. That's going to be the key, though, is what kind of opportunities will he have down the field and will he have enough time to execute some of those deep shots if they give him any kind of you know, shot plays. Yeah, and, and Drew hit it in the chat, and I was going there. We talked about the detail and the precise and doing things. Penalties. How many penalties does Minnesota average a game, Greg, this season? Uh, you tell me. I'm sitting here looking at it, and I don't, I don't see it offhand. It can't be many. Two and a half. Yeah. 
Two and a half for 20 yards, uh, 21 yards. And, and They had 46 penalties last year. So Yeah, all year. All year. And, and that is uh, you talking about – I mean, all you got to do is look at the App State game for North Carolina. You had that huge face mask on what would have been third and, or fourth and forever. You had a, a defensive hold that gave App State life. And so you've got those type situations. Minnesota makes you earn it. Uh, Greg, do you think – and I don't know if this has been a thing, but we kind of asked Mac about it and somebody asked Drake about it. You know, the Walker situations, they've figured it out. He's not playing. Do you think that helps North Carolina getting ready this week when you're fully focused on who you're going to have and not maybe, you know, they were convinced Tez was going to play last week, didn't. So you have to practice him. But this week they know they're not going to have him. Does that help Drake and this receiving core? Because I agree with you. They need to get some cheapies against this Minnesota defense. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and that was one of the, the interesting things in kind of following how his case played out. I mean, you know, with the with his original appeal being denied in July, uh, I found it interesting that he played with the ones as much as he did in training camp. It's one thing if your waiver's denied and you have to appeal and you're waiting on your appeal once your appeal is denied, you know it's an uphill battle. And you're going to need some some fortune to go your way in terms of some of the hearings. Um, and you have to wonder if Walker playing as much with the ones as he did in camp uh, hurt the offense in terms of that chemistry. And the same goes with last week. And so in terms of looking at the wide receiver play and noting that it hasn't really been stellar, I mean, Kobe Pesor has really been kind of about it outside of the tight ends. Um, maybe kind of getting past and saying, all right, well, we know we're not going to have Tez at least for this week, right? Regardless of whatever future action may happen. Um, if we, we put him on the sideline and he's not getting snaps with the ones and the twos, does that give more of an opportunity for some of these younger guys maybe to pop? whether it be a J.J. Jones or you know, maybe McCollum's ready to come back full tilt, uh, you know, Andre Green, whoever it may be, the more opportunities they get with Drake May, the quicker you build that chemistry, the more opportunity you have. Something's going to have to click, though, with that passing game for Carolina to take the next step. Um, they, they, they dominated South Carolina, right? But they only won by 14 points. They dominated App State. Had to win in overtime. So there needs to be some some capitalization, some production, in addition to just playing well. And that's really got to come in the passing game, and we just have not seen it quite yet. Yeah, and Drake mentioned, I think the question he got was, you know, who can take the top off the defense? And, of course, Drake gives the answer everybody can. Um, you know, he felt like they all could. I mean, Kobe definitely can. Gavin Blackwell's been open deep a couple times, um, and he hadn't hit him. You know, people talk about Andre Green Jr. People talk about Chris Culliver, a true freshman, getting in there. I mean, whoever it is, it doesn't have to be just one guy, but somebody needs to press Minnesota deep to get those guys out of that line of scrimmage so North Carolina can have success running the ball. I think we'll see some attempts there. You know, at if it's not there, it's not there. But I think you got to throw it at, at some point and see, can you get a penalty? Can you get a, a spectacular catch? Whatever you need to just sort of loosen it up. Uh, 
British Brooks or Marion Hampton, Greg? A lot of people are saying, did British lose his starting job? I, I don't think it matters who runs out there first. Um, and I've never thought you should lose your starting job due to an injury. But when you're when your one B guy runs for two thirty, it's tough to keep him off the field much. How you see those guys working in, and then is Caleb Hood sort of that third guy? Yeah, let me let me say this real quick about Drake. Just looking in ACC in terms of quarterbacks, talking about the passing game, Drake ranks eleventh among ACC quarterbacks in pass plays of ten plus yards. He ranks eleventh among ACC quarterbacks in pass plays of 20-plus yards. This is the guy who was top five in the country in deep passing grade by PFF last year. Uh, That's significant. Yeah, that, that really is. Now, I agree with you. I don't, I don't know that um, Hampton having the game that he had last week means Brooks lost his starting job, and, and I completely agree. I don't think it matters. Coming out of camp, really the conversation was these guys are really you know, 1A, 1B. They like how both of them are physical. They kind of match with what Chip Lindsey and Mac want to be able to do uh, in the run game. And so I, I think you know, it's been a while since Carolina's you know, had two powerful runners like this. Um, you know, Obviously, we know North Carolina had two great running backs in 2020, but Javante was the brute, and Michael Carter was really more of a speed back. We've we've kind of seen that speed and lightning or that thunder and lightning duo time and time again, but you've never really seen two big lumbering backs who can bash you and, and still run pretty good. And that's what Carolina has. So if you're trying to establish a, a physical approach to the run game, those are two guys you can lean on. Um, and the way you really lean on them is you give them breathers and you make sure that they're fresh late in the game when you need them because um, with the rule change in terms of the, you know, the the play clock not stopping when you get a first down, unless it's the final two minutes, you can really run down the clock and really utilize that to your advantage uh, in, in fourth quarter situations. If you've got a you know, 7 to 14, 20-point lead, you can evaporate that clock pretty quickly with a physical style, and that's what Carolina wants. And so I really think uh, they're in good shape. It doesn't matter who starts. And in terms of Caleb Hood, I like the ability of a guy like that who who can throw the ball if you want to get some trick plays in there. Um, he can catch the ball. He's a heady back. You can use him in a variety of ways. Um, so I, I think North Carolina has a good set of running backs they can utilize right now. Yeah, we're not – we haven't mentioned George Petaway. And right. He's sort of been a forgotten guy. He's got a role. Uh, you know, Right now it's kickoff, so I don't – they're kicking away from him. So, I mean, everybody's fair, talking about the fair catching deal, but they're kicking away from Petaway. But in offense, I mean, if you can get Petaway on the field, but what you don't do is you don't sacrifice. And you called – you mentioned thunder and lightning. You don't sacrifice thunder and thunder, especially when you get in the second half. Because people talk about Amarion's ability to run away from App's defense on that one play. The touchdown that was most impressive to me was the one down in front of the student section – it may have been late in the game. I can't keep up when it was. But he was stepping over guys, stretching out, just bulling into the end zone. Those are the type of plays that defensive linemen and linebackers, and especially safeties, don't want to have to make in the fourth quarter. And you got Brooks and Hampton doing that. I'd like to see Petaway get some run. 
but it's awfully difficult to take one of those guys off the field, especially if they get rolling. Greg, last part on the offense. We're talking with Greg Barnes. This is the game plan. It's next man up. You know, we we've we've we're down to two, but two can still carry it. Uh, you know, the tight ends. John Copenhaver playing with a massive club. Hard to be a, a receiving threat, even though I was surprised they didn't try. Um, but Bryson Nesbitt, you know, Kamari Morales, those guys have the ability. I think North Carolina can make some hay, even if it's just those two catching passes. What have you seen from them this year, as far as those two specifically, especially given how they ended last year? Yeah, well, I think with Chip Lindsay's approach, uh, they're they're being asked to be much more physical than they've been in the past, uh, be more involved in the in the run game. We're seeing a lot of attached tight ends, uh, which is which is good. I mean, that kind of gets you back into that run game mentality, right? Um, and you just have to wonder if that's kind of been a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, and then with Copenhaver really kind of stepping up in the off season and getting a lot of run with the ones in camp, and then all of a sudden he gets hurt. Uh, so I think this has kind of been a you know adjustment period for him, which is which is not necessarily a bad thing. You kind of have to work into the year. Uh, but but I do think you know a couple years ago there was a lot of talk about Drake May having to utilize uh, his wide receivers, Sam Howell too, because of the limited number of wide receivers that Carolina actually had, uh, and I. You know, that was beneficial. And as we talk about some of the struggles the wide receivers have had, well, you know, if you don't have a lot of guys at wide receiver you can trust, well, guess what? Mm-hmm. You can use some of those tight ends. Um, and that that's probably going to be needed at times because if Minnesota's defensive line has any success uh, getting after Drake, then you've got to have some check down options. Um, and so that's where the tight ends really come into play. And this game probably more than the most others. You're going to need those guys to really do a good job blocking, but you're also going to probably rely on them on a lot of those little short passing routes to pick up third downs and those kind of things. So I think they'll have a an elevated presence this week more than most. Offensive line is a place that you like to key on, and we've talked about it being that type of game. What do you think of – when you looked at the PFF grades, and I thought these were interesting, William Barnes moved back to his natural position, and I don't think those grades were great. I could be wrong, but I'm, I think I'm right there. But Diego, I asked Drake, you know, your boys out there at left tackle, what do you think about that? Diego's one of those ones that has all the talent in the world, has the body in the world, it, it, you know, that type body that can make a lot of money one day, is squarely between his ears and he seems to be figuring it out and growing up, maturing and all. Um, offensive line against Minnesota's defensive line. Ryan told us, Ryan Burns told us, one game the edges play well, the next game the defensive tackles play well. Well, North Carolina, I think for me watching this game, and we'll talk about the defense on the other side, but I think it's the middle three. Is that a fair assessment, Greg? is that the middle three, whether it's North Carolina's interior offensive line or interior defensive line that will hit after the break, that's where this game rests for me. Yeah, I think that's clearly an important part um, is how Carolina does up the middle. Willie Lampkin has been phenomenal. Um, you know, One concern I, I shared with you, and I'm not alone in, in sharing this, is, okay, he's coming up from the G5. We know he was very successful at that level, all-conference type player. But he's not the biggest guy in the world. 
And typically you can get away with that at center, which is what he played at Coastal, and that's what he'll play for Carolina next year. Um, but to see him move out to guard and really be as effective as he's been has really been impressive. Uh, so I applaud him for that and, and really kind of you know, making the adjustment to the Power 5 level quite successfully. And then you add in, as you say, Diego uh, over there on the left side. I mean, that's a really good really good group there to run behind. And that's where Carolina had a lot of their success last year or last week running the ball is behind Diego and, and Willie Lampkin. Um, and so I think Lampkin helps there with the interior issues. Uh, Corey Gaynor, we know, we know he's a good player. I don't know that he's had his best first two games of the year. Um, and then you do have some question marks over on the right side. So what Carolina has to be able to do is if you can dominate off the left side, then you take it and you run with it. If you can't dominate the way that you have been, well, then you got to figure out, okay, we at least have to get some push on both sides to, to you know, give us good balance across the entire uh, gap play. And that's where maybe some tight ends come into play. Uh, because if you're not able to run the ball, the Minnesota is really going to be able to, able to get after you some. Um, and so I think that's really going to be the key is for, for North Carolina with the new approach in terms of really putting an emphasis on running the ball, uh, they have to be able to, to create some lanes so that Drake May is not sitting in third and seven. Let him sit in third and three, that's fine. But you start getting in third and seven and third and eight, well, now it becomes obvious passing downs. Now Minnesota can really kind of tee up some blitzes in addition to their standard front four pressure, and it gets a lot more challenging. Yeah, and we've we've run down the entire offense. I think North Carolina – if North Carolina can get the 28 or 30 points on offense, I think they've had a successful day. Oh, yeah. Um, let me talk about Johnny T-shirt. I know some of you – there it is. Uh, people said, um, Philip Ramsey, I've been in Johnny T-shirt, and I've spent big-time money in there. And you know what else <laughs> I used? I used my 10% discount <laughs> that you get from being an Inside Carolina premium subscriber because Johnny T-shirt is where it's at. They got everything you need. I know there's other stores around there. And I know there's other conglomerates on the internet you can order from, but nowhere do you get the alumni owned and such the great customer service that is Johnny T-shirt plus 10%. And this past week they had double discount days. I mean, it's like stacking coupons. Only you just have to do it and be an Inside Carolina subscriber and shop at Johnny T-shirt. Check them out on Franklin Street if you're in town for the ball game. Check them out online if you can't get by there. National guys will pay the bills. It's the game plan, Carolina and Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Greg, it is the game plan. Carolina, Minnesota. We've discussed North Carolina's offense, and we went kind of back to front to the to the trenches to end it. Shout out to the 350 or so people that are in here. Uh, Jason will be with us Saturday, so you'll get some of Jason's stuff. If you haven't had enough Jason, go to Inside Carolina's premium boards and get those breakdowns. They're fascinating because he's talking about the defense and the structure and the pass coverage and all that. But, Greg, I want to start up front. Cayman Rucker, Des Evans, they've been – Cayman Rucker's been really good. Des Evans has been good and, and has progressed so much. But for me, I mentioned it on the, on the back side of the commercial, on the front side of the commercial, I think Tamari Fox, Kevin Hester, Miles Murphy, and maybe Travis Shaw, even though he was not great against App, I think those guys – pushing on the interior of that Minnesota line, I think it's just the key to the ball game for North Carolina, especially with the quarterback they have. And I'm going to let you do the name. I'll say the Greek rifle, and you can do the you can do the last name. If he floods up the middle like they allowed the app quarterback to do a lot, that's going to be a problem. That's why I think those defensive tackles are going to be key for North Carolina. Ethan Kaliak-Manis. Kaliak Manis. See, I can say it when I think about it, but I can butcher it terribly. And I hate that because I pride myself on getting the names right. And then when I think about it too much, it just goes sideways. Yep. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, the Greek rifle, though, that's, that's the fantastic. <laughs> I think fantastic. about my little uh, Red Rider BB gun. I've got the closet over there for some reason. I, I hope it's that, not, you know, 30 out six that he brings. <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah you know minnesota uh, had a really good offensive line last last year uh they had to replace three starters and so they they have some some fresh faces up there uh and they've got a couple of new guys running the ball Uh, darius taylor freshman who michigan and michigan state both really wanted uh he finally broke out they they knew he was going to be good but he finally broke out last week um, and they think he's the guy they can really lean on moving forward. I think it's Sean Tyler, uh, transfer from uh, Western Michigan, had really good years at Western Michigan. So they got two backs they they like. Um, and they are going to want to run the ball. Um, this is, you know, we talked before the South Carolina game. This was a game, that was a game that Carolina, we felt had the edge in the trenches on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And it played out that way. And Carolina, even though they only won by 14, I don't think there's any question that Carolina was going to win that game because they just owned the trenches. It's not going to be near as easy Saturday. And for Minnesota to win, they need to be able to win up front on both sides. Uh, I I think they may have a little bit of an advantage on the defensive side. Uh, Offensively, though, I'm not convinced that this Minnesota run game is as stout as maybe it was last year. That brings us to the guys you just mentioned. It is critically important for Carolina to be competitive every single down on Saturday, whether it be a running play or a pass play. What I mean by competitive, you have to give yourself a chance to win that down. You can't get blown off the ball. Uh, you have to be competitive. You have to, you're going to lose some. You need to win more than you lose. And if Carolina can do that, they will win this game. Uh, But if Minnesota is able to establish somewhat of a running game and they allow 
Kalak Manis to get into some short situations where he can scramble. He's not a Drake May type runner, but he's a decent enough athlete to pick up first downs or to have some opportunities in the passing game where it's not an obvious passing down and Carolina's coming after him. That's going to make his day a whole lot easier. Uh, and so I, I agree. You know, We know that Rucker's been great. He's been one of the, the best defensive ends in the country. Des Evans has finally shown up. So a lot of good things on the edge, but that middle of that line where there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of stars, all those kind of things, those guys have to start playing to that level. They have to start being a strength for this team if the ACC championship game is going to be a, a realistic option for this team this year. Yeah, a stat that could make North Carolina fans a little bit nervous. They had 16 tackles for loss against South Carolina. Furman against South Carolina, even though they got shredded, had seven or eight tackles for loss against South Carolina. So that South Carolina offensive line has struggled mightily. I think, is this a statement game, Greg, for the, for the defense? We talked about how you won't really know what North Carolina is until after uh, Pitt, maybe. I think it's after Minnesota. I mean, this is one of those games you, you looked really good against South Carolina. The numbers bear that out. You look more like you did last year against App, even though there was some good plays in there. And here we are in Minnesota. We've mentioned it's not a conference game, so it's not a, a killer if you lose it, but I think it's a statement game for the defense. Tell me why I might be wrong. I, I can't imagine that uh, I am <laughs> because I just think for North Carolina – to be considered a legit threat to the things you talked about, ACC championship game and all that, the defense has got to show up big in these type games. Yeah, I think this week and next week will tell us everything we need to know about this football team, Tommy. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about all offseason, we know the potential of the offense when you have a Drake May. What's the defense going to do? Uh, and that's why, as I mentioned, you know, kind of to start the show, this is big boy football at Minnesota Place. Now, Minnesota is not Michigan, and this is not a team that's going to be competing for the college football playoff many stretch. But this is a really good football team. Um, that's probably going to be a fringe top 25 team all year, I would imagine, as long as the, the quarterback starts to make some strides. Um, and so this is a good measuring test game. And it certainly is for the defense because you know, after watching the South Carolina game and, and reading some things about that offensive line before that game, there's a reason we thought Carolina had the advantage on the defensive side of the ball, even though we knew what the defensive line looked like all year last year. Uh, it's not that easy Saturday. And so this is, this is that type of game where they can really say, Hey, you know what? We haven't played an offensive line like this all year long. And we're not going to allow ourselves to kind of get pushed around and those types of things. And so um, you know, do, does Gene Chizik, have to rely on lots of blitzes to get TFLs and put pressure on the quarterback. If so, well, maybe we don't learn that much about the defensive line. Because last year the issue was front four could not get pressure on their own. But if he can start relying on that defensive front to hold their own and win occasionally without having to send a fifth or sixth guy, well, that changes things dramatically. And, and that that takes you from being a below average defense to at minimum an average defense. And that's how you get to be a good defense. So I agree with you. I think this 
this week and next week are both very important for the whole team, but especially for the defense. Yeah, somebody in the chat said physical football is Huzzy moved back into star. I think he's got to be at star in, in this game. We haven't talked about uh, Minnesota's receivers. I mean, Daniel Jackson, Crooms, they – the thing that stands out to me is their long reception on the year. And granted, it's just two games. And granted, the game last week, they said, we're going to run these guys into the ground. And they did that. But it's 22 yards. So, I mean, North Carolina safeties need to be better. But you're going to have to have some run support. I think Huzzy is that guy. We'll see what happens there. You know, DJ Jones, he's still learning the position. Huzzy's just the man on, on the backside. So Minnesota wants to play big boy. You got to match the big boy style. You got to make plays. I think Cedric Gray and Power Echoes have got to be heavily involved as well, Greg. Just looking overall on the defense before we get to the predictions, it's 40 minutes in and we don't have Jason. We've been here for four hours. Um, who stands out on defense Saturday? Well, let me, let me, let me phrase it like this from this perspective, Tommy. Um, all those things you said about the defensive backs is right. And I really think this is an opportunity for the defensive backs to have a good game. Why? Look at Kaliak Manis's uh, stats. He has been better this year when under pressure and when blitzed than when kept clean. So this tells us a couple things. Number one, he does a pretty good job of game management. He's able to keep his poise. Uh, PJ Flex said in the offseason, you know, he has a little bit of that it factor. Right when things start to be amiss and go wrong, how do you hold your composure? Uh, and he's done a pretty good job of that. I mean, he's got a 71 grade uh, when blitz this year. Last year he had a 74 grade. He averaged 10 yards per attempt uh, when blitz last year. And obviously Tanner Morgan was a starter, got hurt, and he came in late. However, when kept clean, this is crazy. He's got 62.9 grade. Um, that is not normal. No, it's not. So what that also tells you, they have a lot of faith that he has a good bit of potential. Clearly he is not there yet. He's a big guy, 6'4", 215. He's athletic, but he's not like a mobile type guy. Uh, he's just, you know, watching the Nebraska game, he's just really missing wide receivers. He's rushing things. Uh, he, he's, you know, throwing over their heads, those types of things. So, Regardless of really what the defensive line does, what the Greek rifle has shown us this year is that he's going to potentially be a little bit off. Well, that brings in the, the defensive backs. We know Huzzy has is, is a track record of, of creating some interceptions. The way you change a game like this is you force a team that plays clean, like Minnesota, and you create some of those interceptions. Uh Kelly Manis has had two turnover two turnover worthy passing plays in uh both of the games so far this year. Uh when kept clean. So there's going to be opportunities for for some of the guys in, in the uh back five to make some noise and to make some plays. And that that's what you have to do. Yes, you have to be able to rely on your defensive front. We talked about that all year last year. If by North Carolina's defensive front not being productive, it really exposed the secondary. That doesn't mean that the secondary has to have the defensive line to be dominant to be effective. They can still be better than they were last year without a, a solid push up front, and that's probably what it's going to take on Saturday. 
Now, if you get the defensive line to pressure and then the secondary can take advantage of some quarterback miscues, that's how you turn a game quickly in your favor. I don't know, though. If he if he's significantly better with pressure than he is clean, I think you might just rush your four, rush, rush three or four all game, drop seven or eight, and, and make him do it that way. Of course, you gotta you got to stop the run first. Correct. And, and that's it, that's what it is. You you force him to beat you. You you right. do your best to take away the run game, uh, and then if if yeah you know, if you put him in third and seven, and he's able to beat you if you drop you know seven six seven in the coverage, you tip your hat and you move on because he has not proven that he can do that consistently this year. He had a couple of good games last year. Um, yeah, this is a, this is you're exactly right. You stop the run as best you can, and then you let him beat you through the air. Look, let, let me show you something. Watch, watch this right here, Greg. Jason Staples joins us. Um, I need Sorry, everybody. Had some family delays, and uh, here we you, are. You are forgiven, but I need 27 hey, burpees and I've been, up deaths. Yeah, we, we need we need some sprints out in the driveway for sure. Yeah, I'm uh, not doing that tonight. I'm, I'm, I, think, I think I've already done my, my duty here before, before the show. I've been I've been holding this stat, Tommy, until Jason came on because it's FSU related. Um, Mercy. We've we talked last week, and and Jason highlighted it. But we've talked about it in the offseason as well. But Bobby Bowden always talked about lose big, lose small, win small, win big. Um, Carolina's still in that win small area, which is why I think you know eight points is probably a lot for this game. Uh, just given how things have played out in recent games. I went back and just looked at, uh, we know that midway through the year last year, Mike Norvell's Florida State Seminoles flipped a switch and started to be really good. What year is this for Norvell? Is this his fourth year, Jason? Uh, this is four, yeah. Okay. So if you look over the last eight games against FBS competition, FSU's average margin of victory is 27.3 points. If you look at Carolina's last eight FBS victories, and this includes the 41-10 game against Virginia Tech, including that game, Carolina's margin of victory is 10 points. If you just do the last seven, Florida State's is 27.6. Carolina's is seven. Okay? So the reason I bring that up is Florida State has proven that they've taken that next step with this group of players, and they have gone from winning small to winning big. And that's why they're a top five team in the country. And that's why they're the favorite to win the ACC right now. They played Southern Miss last week and won 66 to 13. They played 103 players, I believe, in that game. And uh, for, what it's, for what it's worth, their starting quarterback and one of their starting receivers had 102 fever going into that game. Too. Yeah. Whereas it, Carolina plays App State, it's probably a better team than Southern Miss. But that game goes to overtime for Carolina. I don't know how many players Carolina played, but it certainly wasn't 103 or whatever. Um, so when we talk about that that trajectory of going from a good program to a great program, I think that's a very distinctive line that you can draw and say, FSU has made that jump. We're waiting for Carolina to do that. Um, I looked it up during the game the other night. Carolina's last 10 games in which they were favored by seven points or more against FBS opponents. Uh, against the spread, they're two and eight. 
So in other words, in games where they're a heavy favorite, they're playing down to their competition and they're not putting them away. And I think that's the concern on Saturday. People are saying, oh, well, Minnesota doesn't have an offense worth the flip. Uh, you know, as long as Carolina can score a few points, they're going to win easy. We have seen nothing to suggest that's going to happen over the last couple of years. Jason, I'll let you get in here and then get out of here quickly. We're, it's the game plan. That's Greg Barnes. Jason Staples has joined us. Give me Carolina's keys offensively, Jason. Just uh, we hit it on the first part of the show, but your key for North Carolina to score some points and against this Minnesota defense. Well, I think first of all, you got to block them. That's the biggest thing. Uh, if you if you've watched, and I'm sure Greg, you already talked about this. If you've watched what what Minnesota's done the first couple games, they've been pretty good up front on both sides of the ball. They don't have a whole lot of playmakers, and th- I think I think you can get them in the secondary some, but you got to be able to block them. And I think you've got to have some balance. This is a very different game from last week, where I think all of us felt like Carolina would be able to run the football against that up front, and boy, they did. I think this this week. I think you're going to need Drake May, and I think you're going to need that offensive line to hold up. I think it's a much bigger challenge up front for this offensive line this week than what they had last week. I think you could bully App State some up front, and they were able to for uh, you know for you know what 300 yards rushing close to uh, this week. I think they're going to need to be able to they're going to need to hold their own up front and and then let Drake May do Drake May things. Uh, and then there, I think there's a second key here because of how how much the difference up front uh, is for for Minnesota. Uh, I think because you're going to be challenged up front by that group, I think there need to be two wide receivers that step up at some point and make a play. I'm not talking about just catching the football. That that would be helpful. Catch it catch it every time, but they need to have somebody, one of the wide receiver group, not one of the tight end group. Would help if you know one of the tight ends makes a makes one of those plays. I mean, how different is last week if Drake locates just a little better, or if you know eighty eight makes the catch on that vertical that would have scored, and you score on the first drive there? It'd be helpful to to finish those plays, but they're going to need a wide receiver, so a slot or a wide receiver to make a play downfield, and 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 actually do something beyond say 15, 20 yard gain. They're going to need to get some big plays in the passing game. That's the other thing. So those two things I think are the keys. Jason, uh, Joe Rossi has proven to be one of the, the best defensive coordinators in the country. Uh, he's had, you know, about 10 NFL draft picks come through the last three or four years. Uh, you know, he was a Broyles award finalist a couple of years ago. What is unique about what he does and what do you think that defense has been so successful the last couple of years? Well, I think one thing is they do a good job of mixing looks and mixing coverages and, and, you know, they, they, they do a lot of different things that, that the offense has to read well. And they, and the other thing is that I think he's really good at not asking his guys to do stuff they're bad at which I mean, it sounds like a really simple thing, but that's a lot harder as a coordinator than it sounds, than it, than it seems because as a coordinator, generally, I mean, you just want to line up and go, okay, rip Liz. All right. We're going to run rip Liz. We're going to run match three and all this, but sometimes you need like, you need to run a variation of something just because that guy can't do the thing that rip Liz asks you to do in that particular context against that particular formation. And you need to be able to have that variation and then teach it to be able to protect your guy. 
And I think they do a good job of asking their guys to do what they do well and not asking them to do a lot that they do poorly. Uh, and one of the things that Carolina needs to do to change that is I do think they've got some guys that you can target, but you have to use formation and motion to force them into some uncomfortable matchups. And, and they do a pretty good job of preventing that. I think that's one really big thing. And the other thing is that they're just really sound and they run to the football. That team plays hard on defense. And you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, we talked about this in the preseason. How much of defense is just getting your guys to buy in and play hard and fire off the ball and, and you know, be in their gaps playing upfield, which we, we have seen from Carolina a little bit this year, but we didn't see a whole lot of at times last year. So much is just effort. And they do a great job with that too. And he he gets his guys to play in and 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 to buy in. Yeah, it's really impressive when you when you kind of look back. We we talk a lot about you know, talent composite and how Carolina's been top twenty in the last couple of years. Minnesota is nowhere near that, and yet defensively, uh, they continue to be you know, one of the, the best units in in the country. One one other thing I wanted to ask you about Carolina's offense uh, situation on on Saturday, Jason. Is I was reading off some stats earlier. And among ACC quarterbacks this year, Drake May is 11th, both in 10-plus yard pass plays completed and 20-plus yard pass play completed. Um, that's quite the difference from last year, early in the year. Is that a concern? And is that going to be something that Carolina needs to hit on some some deep passing plays to really loosen up Minnesota on Saturday? Or uh, what, what's your take on that? I'm curious actually to know your take, but I, I am, I do think it's a, I would call it a moderate concern. So this is not a, you know, end of a bond movie or the villain and you've got the, you know, the, the siren going bah, bah, and danger, you know, all this stuff as everybody's jumping off the, the uh, you know, the, the floating Island or whatever. It's not one of those. Right. <laughs> but it is a situation where there's, there's been, you would you would like to have seen more playmaking out of that group so far in the season. You'd like to have seen, you know, you'd expect against a team like like App State, for example, for one of your receivers to have, you know, managed to 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 catch a ball in a position where he can he can make somebody miss and get 15, 20, 30 yards. And that didn't happen once. Right? I mean that's that is a concern. Now there were a few plays, a couple plays that were that were made against South Carolina, which is why I think you're you're not as concerned. Partly because again, the other thing you got to remember is one of the reasons they didn't do a lot in the passing game against App State is because they didn't need to, right? Right. I mean, they scored on five of their last seven drives, so I mean, that wasn't a problem. But yeah, I mean, even if you look at the at the South Carolina game, you had really one guy getting upfield and, and making making those plays in Pesor. And then, you know, Drake missed a couple of them that he normally would have make would make in that game. Uh and then there's only, I mean, I think you had uh uh two Blackwell made a made one longer play as well. So he's made one longer play this season. And, you know, he's dropped a couple. Just the overall lack of consistency from that group and also the the lack of big plays. At this point, I would put in the medium concern because you have seen a couple of these guys make some big plays in the past. Pesor has done it. Uh, you know, you've seen you've seen JJ make a couple plays in the past, but 
I think if you don't see, and that's why I put them in that, you know, one of the keys to the game category here is if you don't see against a team like Minnesota here, if you don't see a guy, you know, just go up and win a vertical or a guy catch a ball on a skinny post and manage to make a guy miss and get another 15, 20 yards or a glance route and, and actually do something with it, then yeah, I think you you start to wonder like, do they just is this group just not good enough to to provide the support for Drake May down the field that he needs? I don't think that's the case, but they're going to have to prove it. Is does having Nate full go help? Huge. Yeah, I, I mean because coming into the season, you felt like you, the, I mean, you look at my scouting reports coming into the season, I felt like they had two potential difference makers at wide receiver, Tez and Nate, <laughs> right? The guys that are going to actually catch the football and then, you know, change the numbers on the scoreboard are probably are most likely those two guys. And the idea was that those two guys set the table to make coverages easier for other players as well. You know, Nate starts to have success and makes a couple big plays. Now all of a sudden you see teams bracketing him and all of that. And that means single coverage for everybody else that makes everything easier for, for that. And my feeling has been that in the first two games, North Carolina's had a bunch of number two and number three receivers out there. They haven't had a number one. And, you know, the, the game changes when you don't have a number one. And, uh, and, and I mean, you can, again, you brought up Florida State. One of the reasons that they're a buzzsaw right now is they added a number one. They added Keon Coleman, who is a freak. And you add a Tez Walker to this offense, who's a number one. He's not quite Keon Coleman, but he's really good. You... You add that and everything else just stacks up nicely under him. And I think they've got a nice, a nice set of number two wide receivers on the, on the roster right now. And, num- and a couple number threes, they really need Nate to step in and be essentially a, a, a nice replacement for Josh Downs last year, who was, you know, last year they, they almost had two number ones, right? They had Downs as the true number one in the slot. And then they had a really good number two who could be a number one in, in certain cases with, with Antoine Green. Now you lose your number one and your number two, and you try to replace those with a number one and number two, but now your number one's gone and the number two needs to be a number one. So that that's how this is going to be. If he can, if Nate can be, if healthy Nate can be as good as I think he might be and come close. I mean, 85% of what Josh Downs gave you from the slot last year. And all of a sudden that sets the table and makes things a lot easier on every other receiver. Jason, my, my take was more along the lines of, you know, through the first two weeks, Carolina offensively, I think, had enough in an advantage where they could they could be balanced the way they want to be balanced. And, and meaning, you know, if they wanted to run the ball, the opportunity was there, they could do that. If they wanted to pass, they could do that. I think these next two weeks, and this will be a key talking point next week especially, but that may not be the case. And there's a potential for Minnesota really to be able to take away uh, the run game and then you get into a situation where it's not quite as easy and you're more, more tasked with being one-dimensional and you have to rely on some pass plays down the field and it would really loosen things up if you have a, you know, a couple options where you can go deep and pick up a 30, 40, 50-yard pass play. Really going to be important against Pitt, right? Because we know what Pitt's going to do. So you better have wide receivers that can take advantage of that. Because yeah. if you don't, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, so. yeah. Exactly. And, and, and Minnesota is going to, I mean, if I were Minnesota, if I were Rossi, if I were, if I were the, the, uh, that, that group, I would look at the first couple weeks and I would say, look, do they have a wide receiver that scares me? 
I know Drake May's really, really good, but like, okay, so he puts a ball on target to a to a guy that has no separation, and I can just make the tackle. So now I can start taking away the run, and now that makes life difficult for for Drake May because you're you're ne- you're not playing ahead of schedule. So the thing that changes this, and and if I'm if I'm North Carolina in this game, after what I did against App State after how things looked against South Carolina, I come out in this game and I'm, I'm throwing the ball on first down first few drives. I am, I am making that this, the Drake may show on first down. And I'm trying to establish that you've shown that you've got that you, 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 you can establish the run. You've, you've sort of done that and, and shown that there's been some improvement there this game against this defense and that front. I want to show we're going to beat you with my, with these one-on-ones and we're going to do it on neutral downs when you're going to have to stop our run. I'm going to let Drake may have some of those verticals downfield that he, that he likes to throw. I'm going to give him some opportunities for his guys to win one-on-one and let him locate. And you, you get some wins on first down in the passing game. And now they have to change what they're doing a little bit and they can't take away the run. And you've set the table for the, for the rest of the game really well. Ideally, you come out and you score on your on your first drive and you maybe run the football once or twice and you just let Drake May throw the ball down the field. That's that's what I'm thinking as a coordinator here, just stacking game on game. And then that, that of course, not only sends the message to Minnesota that you're going to have to change up what you're doing a little bit, because I, I think they're going to come in challenging the run and, and you know, ex- expecting to tackle the receivers and, and not have them make a bunch of plays. You beat them a few times in one-on-ones. You send the message to them. You're also sending a little bit of a message to to Pitt the next week. So now Pitt's it's not going to matter to them, but you know they're going to still line up with as many people in the box as Narduzzi can get, and they're still going to cover you one-on-one. But you got to get your guys in rhythm in the passing game now. So that, that's how I would do it. Anything left from you, Jason, on this game before we get to the predictions? You joined us late, came in hot, you've nailed it for 15, 16 minutes, uh, anything left before we go and I put y'all on record. Of what Biggest thing is, and, and Greg, I'm sure you covered this already too, is you got to stop, you got to stop the stretch run. They've got to do a better job of fitting the outside zone stretch type stuff than they did against App State because Minnesota is one of the teams on the, on the, on the, on the schedule that, that runs a bunch of it. <laughs> so Minnesota is, and they're physical up front. They're good offensive line. They're not very good on offense overall, but they will run the stretch and they'll run it with some physicality. If Carolina can't stop that, then it's going to be a a, a long game and it's going to be a, a close game and one that you know you can lose. Uh, if you stop that stretch run and you play that better than you did and you fit that better than you did against App, and you force this Minnesota team to throw, I'm not sure this Minnesota team has the players outside defensively to beat you. I think I think I think in this game is this is one of those where you let your corners play on an island and you you tell them, look, you you gotta you gotta make sure you win your matchups here. Cause force that force that quarterback, force those wide receivers to beat you and commit to stopping that you know, we've talked about this for years, Greg. Make them do make them take away one thing. The one thing you take away here, you don't worry as much about some of the some of the uh the big play type stuff that you did against app because app has some speed and South Carolina had some receivers with this Minnesota team. You try to take away the run 
make him make him throw to beat you and you know i think you've got to you've got to put your bigger defensive line in and you got to rotate those guys early and you got to tell them to sell out and and take away that run so what happens you're first up what happens and give me a prediction i i do think they're going to be able to do that so and i think that this this game is ripe for drake may to actually put his stamp on it especially with the return of of nate mccollum uh in the slot i think carolina will win this game i do think they'll win by uh i think they'll cover uh, I know that's a lot to ask. I do think this will be one of those games that probably goes into the fourth quarter. And, you know, it is tough to score on on this defense. But I like the matchup in terms of Carolina being able to find some some passing game that they've not shown as much of so far this year. I think they're going to be they're going to have a little, little harder time running it. But I also think that they're they're going to ha- they're going to find they're going to find a few stops defensively in this game. Uh, and it'll be enough. So I'm going to go with. Uh, Carolina, let's say Carolina, Carolina, uh, 27, uh, or no, we'll go Carolina 31, Minnesota 20. There you go, Greg. You cannot pick 31 to 20, by the way. I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, but I I think Jason's exactly right. And one stat that we we didn't mention, Tommy, and I think this is an important one because people are kind of looking at Minnesota's points per game. Uh, They've got eight red zone trips in two games, which isn't bad. It's kind of average uh, across the country. They've only scored touchdowns three times in those eight trips, which is not good. Uh, they've really kind of stubbed their their feet when, when they get into the red zone. And so I think for Minnesota, if they're able to get into the red zone and capitalize, that changes things for this game. But as it currently is, I think it's going to be a close game getting to the fourth quarter. And at that point, it's a simple math. Who do you want? Do you want the Greek rifle? Uh, <laughs> while he may have the, the better name, or do you want Drake May? And it's Drake May you know, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100. And so because of that, I've got North Carolina winning this one. Uh, as I said, a little bit lower score. I've got it at 24-17, Tor Hills. I was real tempted to go around there. <laughs> you heard me at 20. Uh, I'm going to go at 31. I, I think I think they're going to score four touchdowns. Over under on how many possessions? Didn't uh, didn't Nebraska get like three possessions in the first half against Minnesota and Eastern Michigan had like four yards total offense? I mean, is, is this going to be an exciting game, Greg, or is this going to be a typical Big Ten basketball type? It's going to be exciting for me because I love me some defense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it may not be. Uh, Nobody's worried about missing a touchdown when they get popcorn, like a fedora. <laughs> said maybe an issue back in 2011. But. Well, you could get yeah. popcorn in, in in the blue zone. From what I heard last week, you might miss the first quarter, <laughs> much less the touchdown with the lines for food. And, so and Minnesota will run that clock. They will try to shorten this game as much as possible, which is another reason Carolina has to stop the run. They you stop are, the run and, and get a few extra possessions here, and and the more possessions in this game, the better it is for Carolina. They are they are tenth in the country in time of possession at thirty five oh eight. So, yeah, Jason's most overrated stat in the history of the game. And the funny thing is, is <laughs> Carolina through two games last year held the ball longer than they have so far this year. So. Interesting. And I did say Big Ten basketball intentionally. I, I knew uh, what you meant. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys. I, uh, I, I'm i in line with you guys. Um, I picked the correct Carolina score last week. Uh, I'm going to try to do it again this time. 
I'm gonna go Carolina. Carolina thirty. Seventeen. Um, but I think, you know, I think there might be a turnover that affects things. Minnesota coming in wearing the golden domes, the golden gopher domes, white jerseys, and maroon britches. Shout out to Jay Bone for that. Carolina with the traditional blue, blue whites. Jason, I'll talk to you Saturday for Inside Carolina Live. Greg, you and I will talk again soon. Maybe we can uh, – we got a pit rider last year. Let's do it again if we can next week. Inside Carolina Live, Saturday at 12.30 to 2.30 in the Bowls lot. Come out and join us there. Jason, uh, we've got a special guest you'll hear from on that, and Jeremiah Holloway from Inside Carolina as well. Anything left, boys? Are we getting out of here now? And shout out to Johnny T-Shirt and the 366 mm. people that are in here. Oh, before I forget, <laughs> if you're listening to this on the audio version, after the ending commercials, you'll get – Greg and I, Greg and my interview with Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated. It is worth the extra 30 minutes to listen to the podcast. Great interview with him. Great insight on Minnesota. Not just football. Minnesota State, State Fair and everything else. And a weather forecaster as well. He says 89 degrees in Minnesota this week. So. I know, really. I don't, I'm not going to Minnesota to cook. I'm going to Minnesota to cool off, and they're just as hot. Jason, I appreciate you making it. We know life happens. You came in and nailed it talk to you saturday greg as always appreciate it thanks to everybody for listening we'll see you again soon thanks guys hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Another edition of Inside Carolina's Next Level, where Greg Barnes and myself get together, talk a little deeper than the normal podcast we do at Inside Carolina, and with a football game coming up against Minnesota. North Carolina fans are not very familiar. We've heard a lot of talk about the Big Ten and conference realignment, but North Carolina fans are not very familiar with Minnesota. So Greg has procured a, a special guest that will help us understand the Golden Gophers a little bit better. Well, if, if anybody's on the, the message board, uh, I've been around for a long time. And, and one thing I hadn't even thought about doing, and because uh, I, I guess there's a lack of trust in <laughs> just uh, fans in general, maybe, 
but I looked the other day and there's a, a Minnesota at North Carolina joint two, four, seven threat. And I'm like, Oh goodness, this could go really bad. And Ryan Burns, who uh, works at the two, four, seven Minnesota site, set it up and it is phenomenal. I've been incredibly impressed. It's, it's Carolina fans and Minnesota fans going back and forth, sharing information, you know, poking and prodding a little bit, but this has been, it's been a fun read. And uh, I said, man, that, that, that's a really good idea. We need some insight on, on Minnesota. As, as you know, we, we talked off air, Carolina fans don't know a lot about Minnesota, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be the state or the actual team, because these, these programs have never faced. Uh, and so Ryan, I want to welcome you aboard. Uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, I'd imagine most Carolina folks think Minnesota is a cold, barren wasteland 365 (laughs) days a year, considering uh, when I talk to recruits, uh, I would say, say, you know, from the south, I would say that's what they think. I'm staring outside right now. It's 75 degrees. We had as many 90 degree days, including last week, as we've ever had. I mean, it it, it does get green and warm up here, and now it does (laughs) snow. I ain't going to hide from that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's nice out here. And that joint thread, again, we've done that before with other Minnesota uh, opponents, ones that I know there's not a lot of animosity between. And to your point, uh, I don't know that Minnesota fans know a lot about North Carolina. And North Carolina fans don't know a lot about Minnesota. So that's where I thought to myself, I'm going to text Ben and see if he's open to it. And I, I think it's gone as, as well as I hoped it would. I know there's going to be a large contingent of Minnesota fans traveling down. I just talked with some folks over at the University of Minnesota today. I think they're expecting somewhere around 7,500 to potentially uh, a little bit more than that to travel down to Chapel Hill. So there's a lot of people that are excited to see what it looks like between Minnesota and North Carolina. So, so first question here, and I'm going to give you a few of these easy ones to start off with just to kind of mm-hmm. give North Carolina fans some understanding. In the ACC, there are a lot of very small schools. You know, undergrad-wise, Carolina, Tommy, you can correct me here, I think still below 20,000. Uh, Wake Forest is like 6,000. Duke's about the same. Boston mm-hmm. College, of course, is small. In the Big Ten, however, there's a lot of big uh, alumni bases and, and enrollments. How many, how many students, undergrads, are at Minnesota? Oh, that's a great question. I, I know it's north. of I, I graduated from the University of Minnesota. Uh, I would imagine undergrad, probably 30,000 at least. Okay. It might be a little bit more than that. I mean, it's it's a very big campus. There's a lot of people that come in and commute as well. But the alumni base, especially for these Big Ten schools, I mean, you mentioned the the Michigans and the Ohio States of the world is massive. Now, Minnesota has a giant alumni base. It's a very big campus. But yeah, I, I guess I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, Minnesota's enrollment, I would say, is is pretty big compared to some of these ACC schools. For sure. Just in the state of North Carolina, and granted, we have a lot of FBS level schools, but uh, I think state and maybe UNC Charlotte now are probably the only ones right around 30, if above that. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the weather, North Carolina fans, I've already talked to a number of them, are looking forward to coming up to Minnesota for reasons mm-hmm. we've already discussed next year. Yep. My game's going to be in September. So they don't need to bring their parkas. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> no. I mean, uh, for the opening game against Nebraska, I think that day was 89 degrees. I think that weekend it got up to 99 and 101. Um, but I believe this game is going to be played in and around Labor Day next year, if I'm right. Yep. Uh, which, if Carolina fans remember this about 11 months from now, 
the Minnesota State Fair is going to be going on during that time. And it's one of the biggest events that people travel to. I mean, it's everything you can imagine on a stick. Uh, <laughs> it is. I hope you go there very hungry because I can assure you, you won't leave hungry. But it's the great Minnesota get together is what it's called. So if you come up a couple of days early, the State Fair will be going on. Give it a check. But yeah, it's going to be warm. I can assure you it'll be above 80 degrees more than likely. Yeah, Tommy, you know, we've had uh, we've had so many days of late where, you know, pushing 100, then you add in the humidity. It's just kind of kind of miserable. So when you say 89, it's like, all right, well, that's that's pretty typical <laughs> for around here. So yeah. uh, food and uh, anything you can get on a stick. Too. I'm telling you, I mean, um, I mean, it's there's always brand new foods coming out. I know there was a, a bunch of different like uh, pickle variations of <laughs> Um, you know, different stuff like that, but I'm telling you anything you can ever imagine on a stick deep fried and, and just covered in calories is the, is the way I'm going to say it. I mean, you're going to do a lot of walking while you're there trying to offset some of the calories, but you'll get a nice cold beverage in your hand, go eat some nice deep fried food and get to see what Minnesota's about. And Tommy, uh, while North Carolina and Minnesota have never played, there are some, some familiar ties and I'll just run through these real quick to see if anybody can kind of pick up on these. But uh, John Gutekunst mm -hmm. uh, was the head coach at Minnesota back in the late 80s. He was also defensive coordinator for John Bunning for, I guess, three years, the last three years that, that John was in Chapel Hill. Uh, everybody knows and loves Tim Brewster. He was head coach <laughs> at Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he uh, had a good run in Chapel Hill uh, back in the 1990s and then uh, had a uh, fun exit a few years ago. Um, where's he at? I don't even know where he's at. Is now. that Colorado he's Coach Prime out there in Colorado? <laughs> I'll tell Prime. you, uh, Tim Brewster, not beloved here. I think he has blocked the entire state of Minnesota on the Twitter machine <laughs> at this point. Uh, one of the biggest dumpster fires I can remember was the, was the hire of Tim Brewster back 15 so, years ago now. Yep. Carolina fans. There's see, there's bonding. That's what we're yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, there it is. That's and why it, the, that's why the thread on the message board is somewhat peaceful because uh, by brew. We're all, we're all <laughs> rooting for it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll throw one more out there, Tommy. Uh, this is about PJ Flack, uh, who's a Midwest guy through and through. Uh, and when Dave Doran was the head coach at Northern Illinois before he went to NC state, he hired PJ Flack as offensive coordinator. And the very next day, PJ left. He resigned and I think went to Tampa Bay, if I remember that correctly. So yep. <laughs> uh, Carolina fans will probably get a kick out of that as well. Well, yeah, And also you've got uh, Chris Collins transferred from North well, Carolina to place yeah, in Minnesota. You'll see, him, yeah. you'll see him back on the field at Chapel Hill. Probably be playing 15 to 20 snaps as a backup uh, rush end type, the stand-up end in Minnesota's defense. But he'll be back trying to get a little vengeance on Mac Brown and staff. That'll uh... – That'll be interesting. One of the coaches today is his former position coach said, uh, wish him well. Hope he does well. Hope we run over him repeatedly <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. Yep. Ryan, let me ask you a question about PJ Fleck. I, I know when North Carolina had uh, coach openings, Fleck's name would come up once in a while as it has all over the country, but just sort of give us some insight into him. And we talked briefly off the air about the row the boat slogan or, or mantra sort of, Give us the backstory on that so folks can understand um, Coach Fleck a little better. Yeah, we'll start there. I mean, I would say that as someone who's had likely more interactions with him, both with the camera on, the camera off, as anybody in the media world, 
the way I like to describe PJ Fleck is he's not just one Red Bull. He's five Red Bulls all the time. <laughs> and you're going to know within 15 seconds of meeting the man, whether you're going to love that or whether you're going to hate that. And it's off putting to you. Um, and that's where he does have a lot of slogans. He does have a lot of things like that around the facilities and he says them in the media. But I think people forget that the most famous one, Row the Boat, which is something he says to end every press conference, it's around the facilities, is actually tailored around the fact that he lost uh, a child um, back when he was uh, a little bit younger in those Western Michigan days, I believe. And it's tailored around just keep moving forward. You know, he always talks about put your oar in the water and just keep going forward. And that's essentially what Row the Boat's about. I, I just think that um, I'm glad you asked about it because it's one of the things you, you always see on social media or other opposing message boards is mocking. I mean, again, he is certainly a character. I mean, he is who he is. He's not going to run from it. But that's where when people rock, mow the, uh, row the boat, it's it's kind of I feel like people don't do the deep dive and know it's because he lost, you know, a child um, when they were you know very young. And it's about him trying to work through it. And he tried to share that story with everybody else. Um, but you know, he's someone that has a ton of energy. You're going to see it in between quarters where I believe during the end of the first and the end of the third, he runs down the field with the team to switch sides. I mean, it's, it is who he is. I mean, um, you know, there's, when he was initially hired, there was a lot of comparisons with their personalities between him and Tim Brewster. Uh, well, PJ Fleck, while maybe very outgoing, has a lot of energy. You don't luck your way into winning nine straight games in the last three full seasons or winning nine or more games, I should say they're a very disciplined football team. That's one of the things he stresses, but he is a very good football coach. Let me ask you about that discipline and that, that football team. And this is another one of those things. And I don't want to call it stereotype because it's not that, but everybody assumes big 10 football is a certain way. And, and Minnesota definitely likes to play that way, but just sort of describe the style that this team plays before we get into the details a little bit. Because when I hear Big Ten football, I think, you know, monster offensive linemen, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust, that type aspect of it. I remember several years ago when Minnesota was the hot thing there for a while, it, it didn't seem like that watching it. But you're on the inside. Tell us about the program. Tell us about how it's run and what North Carolina, North Carolina fans can expect to see football-wise on Saturday. Yeah, you're probably thinking back to that 2019 team that won 11 games, beat Auburn in the Outback Bowl. Um, certainly a, a much different team then than they are now. But when I talk about in terms of discipline, you look at year after year after year, P.J. Fleck teams are one of the least penalized teams in college football. Uh, the ones that usually don't make pre-snap mistakes, don't get the false starts, the offsides, the uh, you know hand placement on tackles. You're not getting horse collars or face masks. But they're also one of the best in terms of why has Minnesota been so successful in winning football games. It's been on defense. Uh, they haven't allowed more than 20 points in any of their last eight games. How do you do that? You stop the run and you limit explosive plays. I mean, that's been a hallmark of a Minnesota defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi defense is they don't allow big plays. They're one of the, uh, it, I think if you look at the last few years since he has taken over, they're probably top 15 in football and limiting explosive plays. And their belief there is if you have to fit, make an opposing college football offense drive, 10, 12, 14, 16 plays, they're eventually going to make a mistake where that's going to prevent them from going into the end zone. 
whether that means they have to settle for a field goal, whether you're able to force a turnover, but it's those four play 75 yard drives that kill you at the end of the game. And I think Minnesota has seen that in some of their recent losses over the last few seasons is why have they lost that they gave up explosive plays offensively. I would agree that they historically last year's team was three yards in a cloud of dust. They ran the ball more than anybody else in power five football uh, last season. And they had an all-world running back, Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, one of the best in the country in yards after contact, missed tackles for us. But this offense is a little different. And when you look at just last week's game, I know the stats don't look very, very kind, but that's where Fleck has talked about all week. And we talked with the offensive coordinator, and Greg Harbo, who is a, a Raleigh native, someone I know this, this game means a lot to coming up here on Saturday, is they wanted to make a point where in game one, they passed the ball to win. It's the way they had to win. This past week against a, a MAC team that is expected to make a bowl game, but I mean they're okay. They decided we got to be more physical up front and show North Carolina that we can beat them through, uh, beat them through the air, beat them on the ground. So I do think you're you're not going to see Minnesota throw the ball only 15 times like they did last week. I would imagine that that's likely going to be doubled, if not in the 30 to 35 range. They are big up front. I mean we're talking about boys that are all six five, 300 pounds, if not a little bit more. But it all comes down to, for me, it's the discipline on both sides of the ball in terms of don't shoot yourselves in the foot. And more times than not in college football, you're going to give your shot, give yourself a, a chance in the fourth quarter to win a football game. PJ Flex been there since 2017. Um, so he's got a little bit of a head start on Mac. But one thing that we talk a lot about with Mac Brown is, is 2.0, of course. But it's it's building the the program in his image, and this is year five for Mac. And when he came in in 2019, you know he he sat on the sideline, worked for ESPN, and was just enamored with what Lincoln Riley was doing at Oklahoma. And that was kind of his thing: we're going to have an explosive offense. It's going to be air raid. It's going to be power rushing game. We want to score 50 points a game, and I want Heisman Trophy candidate quarterbacks. So he brings in Phil Longo. And really what we saw through the first four years is, yeah, North Carolina was really good offensively, but the defense kept getting worse every single year until last year it was one of the worst in the country and, and maybe the worst at the Power 5 level. Uh, so it's this whole conversation of, okay, well, well, Mac was all about defense back in the 90s and the offense was trying to catch up. Now it's – you know, the offense is where it's at, and the defense is trying to catch up. So what is what is that mentality? What is that identity? And the question's still out with Mac. P.J. Fleck, as I said, has been there for a couple of years longer. Is this identity that he wants what he has in terms of an elite defense and then a complementary offense, or is that just kind of where the pieces have him right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's one to where I think it's important to note, first off, that PJ is a Jim Trestle disciple. And what that means in his eyes, and he's talked about it over the years, is they want to be great on defense. They want to be ball control on offense. I think in an ideal world, PJ Fleck in wins is holding the ball for 35 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game at times. They want to be able to limit the opposing offensive possessions. And then you look at specifically in this upcoming game on Saturday, I would agree with him that the the short amount of time that Drake May is hopefully on the field, I mean, the more time he's on the field, the more the chance is that Drake May can go be one of the best quarterbacks in, in college football, and that was stressed again today. But I do think that this team, and especially in year seven now, is certainly in the identity of what he wants. 
They want to be able to complement themselves on offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, special teams has been certainly an issue for them all seven years now. Um, they finally blocked their second punt of the Fleck era last week against Eastern Michigan, but I wouldn't get your hopes up too much there uh, in terms of Minnesota special teams being a game changer. But that's the MO is they want to be trestle ball. They want to be able to dominate time of possession. They want to be able to get off the field on third down on defense, which I believe they were number two in college football last year with just a couple of NFL draft picks back there. Uh, in terms of getting off the field on third down, they've been pretty good at it. They just allowed only four yards of total offense in the second half last week to Eastern Michigan. But that's the thing is they want to get off the field on defense and they want to sit on the ball on offense because, again, especially against a team like North Carolina with how talented that entire offense is, the less they're on the field, the less of a chance they have to hurt you. One name that I think a lot of people associate with Minnesota just in recent years, of course, is, is Tanner Morgan. Tanner uh, is now trying to to make his way at the pro level. Uh, but in the wings, and we saw a little bit of him last year, is Ethan Kaliak Manis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call him the, the Greek Rifle, which is a fantastic nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, how has he looked thus far? What's kind of the expectations for him? And, and what kind of impact do you think he maybe can have this weekend? I mean, he is the straw that is going to stir the drink of this gopher offense in 2023. Uh, You saw glimpses of it here at times during the six or seven games that he has started in his career. And he single-handedly essentially went out and beat a Wisconsin team on the road last year, a very big rivalry game for Minnesota, uh, a place in Camp Randall that has historically been a, a house of horrors for them for largely my entire lifetime. And behind his right arm, Uh, They're able to throw for 300 yards against what I think is one of the best defensive coordinators in college football and Jim Leonard. Uh, We'll see where he ends up here in 2024, but he is the most physically gifted quarterback I've covered in my 12 years in a gopher uniform. Now the bar to clear for that, I understand is Tanner Morgan or Mitch Leidner, which, uh, you know, I love those two, you know, those two kids uh, dearly, but what Ethan can do is certainly beat you with his legs at times. I mean, he's not someone that they're going to have design quarterback runs for, But he has been very uh, efficient, I would say, on third down, where if the pocket breaks down around him, he's more than athletic enough to go pick it up with his legs. Uh, He's got a great arm attached to him, but it's going to be, you know, there's been a lot of expectations for him internally over the last few years. Uh, Since he signed, he was a four-star quarterback coming out in that COVID class in 2020. But we haven't seen the consistency from him. And that's where you look at the stats this year. And just over the course of his young college career, they don't look that impressive. And I understand that. But that's where if Minnesota is going to walk away from this game with a victory, I can assure you it's going to be because Ethan Kaliak Mann has finally found a way to put it together for 60 minutes like he did in that Wisconsin game. But he is a very talented quarterback. It's just about he's still learning what throws he can make and what throws he can't. So could you have a joint thread with Wisconsin and Minnesota? Absolutely. I'll tell you, not a shot. Um, I mean, those the fan bases, I would tell you, that hate each other dearly on a Minnesota perspective are Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin now especially, since Minnesota's actually had some success there. Uh, Iowa's almost apathetic somewhat because Fleck has never beaten Iowa, which has just been truly remarkable uh, considering if I told if I just gave you the stats of those games, the last two specifically, you would have thought Minnesota won by seven to 10 points in both, but strange things have happened in those two rivalry games. I'll tell you that much. We certainly understand uh, fan bases that go at it down here. Darius Taylor. He's, 
he's the complement to the Greek rifle. Uh, it, I don't know how many times we've had a situation, and certainly not covering North Carolina that I can remember, where you had the top two running backs in the nation the previous week square off the following week, mm-hmm. Marion Hampton and Darius Taylor. What's he bring, and as a freshman, um, how has he progressed to be able to have a game like he had last weekend? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, uh, with especially with Omarion being named, I believe, the Doak Walker uh, running back of the week in college football. And then you have Darius Taylor, who is the Big Ten freshman of the week. Um, with Darius Taylor, I mean, he was a big recruiting get for Minnesota in the last cycle. Uh, someone that was a four-star composite kid from the state of Michigan. Someone that Michigan State certainly made, I would say, healthy NIL opportunities available to. Uh, and Darius turned that down. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh tried to flip him after they saw his early senior tape. They remained on him until National Signing Day, and he still signed with Minnesota. And the, the fun part, I would say, with Darius Taylor is it's only his third every year playing running back. He was a wide receiver for most of his time. Started playing running back in his junior season, fully committed to it his senior year, and that's when he really took off. Uh, but he is certainly a north-south running back to go with the east-west, which is Sean Tyler, uh, the other running back from Minnesota who ran for over a 1,000 yards at Western Michigan each of the last two seasons. He is certainly their explosive back, someone that if he does get into that second and third level, you're not going to catch him. But with Darius, uh, he what you know the thing that impressed me most last week was his patience, uh, something that's so incredibly tough to teach to a young running back who the game you know is moving at such a faster pace than it did in Michigan high school football compared to what he saw last Saturday night. And that's where his patience was on display. He's still learning a little bit how to play behind his pads and behind his size. He is a bigger running back, 215, 220 pounds, but he is certainly the north-south option for Minnesota in their rushing attack. Uh, Tommy, you mentioned Darius Taylor talking about six degrees of separation, um, reading through his recruiting story. Uh, you know, you did have the, the Harbaugh situation where Michigan offered and was trying to get him. Um, his position coach at Minnesota, who was recruiting him, left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went to Kent State. He's a new head coach at Kent State, which is where uh, Tez Walker, of course, uh, transferred from. And we've been dealing with the NCAA fallout of that. So uh, we can't get away from it, Tommy. <laughs> you cannot. I mean, it's like the Kevin Bacon of college football. <laughs> right, right. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon and Tez Walker. <laughs> so, so Ryan, the one thing I love about football, and everybody mm-hmm. listening to this knows this, is I am a huge defense guy. I think it's the a team that plays good defense uh, owns my heart. What is it about Joe Rossi uh, and the scheme that he runs that has made that defense one of the best in the country the last couple of years? They have been very detail-oriented. You talk to Rossi, you talk to any of his players, it's the details that matter. Uh, they collectively play 1 through 11 very well together. I mean, if you just line them up and, and look at who you want coming off the bus first, I would imagine North Carolina's athletes – probably a little better looking than what Minnesota's got going on out there. I mean, that's all, that's a testament to how well I think athletically Mac has recruited there at North Carolina, but for Minnesota, it's so much about fit because with an NIL group in Dickytown athletes, that's certainly still developing. They can't compete in the NIL game with some of the blue bloods out there. So you have to know what you're looking for and you have to be able to recruit from the high school level up. And I think that's where they've done a really good job. 
Um, you know, they do have some guys on defense that will be playing on Sundays. They're led by one of the best safeties in the country and Tyler Newbin, who had a couple of picks on that national televised game to start the season against Nebraska, really changed it for them. He's likely a top 60 overall pick. They got a really good outside corner in Justin Wally. They're hopefully going to be getting their best linebacker back who has missed the first two games with a soft tissue injury and in Cody Lindenberg. And then up front, I mean, that's to me where I think a lot of this game is going to be dictated. Um, you know, I think, you know, again, I'm just the outside perspective. I've only seen on tape what it looks like. But North Carolina's offensive line versus Minnesota's defensive line is going to be the thing I want to see because I think Minnesota's defensive line has gotten better. Their 22 defensive line was the most underachieving unit in the Fleck era to me because they have the bodies back there to be impactful. And in game one, they were impactful on the outside. And in game two, they were impactful with their defensive tackles. Now, can they merge that all together? That's going to be the question. But why has Joe Rossi been so successful? Schematically, I think he does one of the best jobs in terms of trying to confuse the opposing quarterback into maybe he thinks it's man, but it's actually zone. Or if it's zone, he thinks it's cover two and it's actually cover four throwing different looks at the running back or excuse me, the quarterback to try and get him off. Now, Drake may is the best quarterback that Joe Rossi, I think has faced in years. And that's going to be certainly put to the test as much as this game is North Carolina versus Minnesota. I think the tail of the tape is going to be Drake may versus Joe Rossi, which one of them has more success about one another, I think is going to tell a big story in this game. We're talking with Ryan Burns, 24 sevens, Minnesota guy, giving us the dish on the Gophers. Ryan, let me ask you a question. You said something that sort of caught my ear. You said the 22 defensive line was the most underachieving group uh, in mm -hmm. years. Well, you could say the same thing about North Carolina's. And in the first couple games, similar to what you described for Minnesota, Carolina, you know, nine sacks, everybody talked about that. And then against App State, they weren't as good. Why do you think Minnesota's group across that defensive front improved or has improved and developed between last year and this year? I would say the change of defensive line coach played a big part in it. Uh, I think Brick Haley, who was the defensive line coach last year, just didn't get enough out of his guys. Now he's no longer with the program. He's now the Purdue defensive line coach with Ryan Walters out there at Purdue. They brought back actually one of the players that played for P.J. Fleck at Minnesota in one of his first couple of seasons by a young man by the name of Winston Delighty Boudere who's one of the youngest power five assistant coaches in college football now. I think he's 23, 24, 25 years old. I mean, he's played with some of the guys that are still here. And I think just the change in perspective has played a part. Uh, I also think that a lot of those guys last year were getting their feet wet for the first time, especially at the Big Ten level, so many of them. And now that they've had a chance to, to play against other quality opponents in 2022, in 2023 here, you see that jump from year one to year two in terms of being able to take the next step and not, you know, just essentially playing to your ability. I mean, they have so many guys that you'll see on Saturday from Jaw Joyner to Danny Strigow to Kyler Baugh, who had two sacks the last game, to Jalen Logan Redding that are now in their second year competing at a Power 5 level. They know what to expect. They're confident in themselves. But I just think that between position coach changes, which I attribute a lot to it, I just don't think that Brick Haley got enough out of what Minnesota was last year. I think Winston through two games has gotten more, but this is going to be really a much bigger test than I would say Nebraska was because you're going to have to get pressure on Drake May 
And even within that, you can't allow him to escape the pocket where you two know he's so, so good, either with his legs or in that second play and generating explosives with his arm. Everyone, take a take a look at Ryan's work at Gopher Illustrated. Uh, some really good stuff. Some great insight here, Ryan. We're, we're going to close with with one more here. Uh, for, for Minnesota to win this game, what's maybe two or three things that, that they need to do very well? I know you probably hit on a couple of them, but you repeat as necessary. Yeah, I look at this game and Minnesota being a touchdown underdog. I understand it. You're traveling on the road, trying to beat a ranked team. North Carolina has been certainly prolific. Uh, with their offense. I think they're scoring around 35 points per game their last 16 games here going back to the start of 2022. And that's where, that's the thing to me, is can Joe Rossi slow down Drake May enough? I'm not saying he's got to put the clamps on everything that's going on with that offense, because to me, as much talk as there is around Drake May, that North Carolina rushing attack has been incredible through the first two weeks of the season. I mean, we talk about Omorion Hampton. You saw what British Brooks did in, in week one as well. They've been very efficient, very explosive on the ground. But if you can hold this North Carolina offense to 24, 28 points, you're going to give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter. Now, that's obviously easier said than done with what North Carolina has accomplished. But offensively, that's where it's going to come down to for me. Minnesota's offense as well versus that North Carolina defense that just last week gave up 34 points, nearly 500 yards of total offense to App State. It's, can Minnesota be more explosive? They have zero explosive passing plays over 25 yards or more. Now, they do have eight between that 20 to 25 range, but to win on the road against a ranked opponent, you got to be more explosive. And then they got to be a lot better in the red zone. What I mean by that is they've had eight trips into the red zone their first two games. They've only scored a touchdown on three of those. And that's where if you're going to be kicking field goals against North Carolina, you ain't going to be able to win this football game. So if Minnesota can be more efficient in the red zone, they're going to give themselves a shot in that fourth quarter to where, I mean, I know that North Carolina was obviously in a very tight game last week, went to overtime in Chapel Hill, but you have to try and slow down Drake May. And that's where you got to change the picture for him, both in your coverages and Minnesota's defensive line has to get in his face, but it's that fine line of you want to get pressure on him but you don't want to get out of your lane so that he can extend plays with his legs. I believe the stat is since the start of 2022, he's got 61 first downs with his legs. There's so much talk about him with his arm up here. To me, what scares me about Drake May is if you look at it and he's got 61 first downs with his legs, the last 16 games, that's an extra four first downs every game just with his legs. If you can just take that in half or just nullify it, I think this game becomes very interesting as we get into the second half. Definitely very good insight there, and that's something people, North Carolina fans are used to seeing Drake make those plays, but they're also used to seeing opposing quarterbacks do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be a, a battle of that. Ryan Burns, Gopher Illustrated, the message board, the Gopher Report, the joint Tar Pit Premium thread. That's, I think I saw it's on... 1400 responses and 54 pages on the and it's still going good We're, we don't have people bickering at one another yet i'm sure as we get a lot closer to the game and certainly during <laughs> the game there'll be some strong opinions and feelings about all things but I, i'm just glad that uh, the north carolina faithful have seen the minnesota nice that's going to be traveling down to the raleigh area here in the next few days that is definitely awesome maybe 
Well, maybe not. I was going to say maybe we could do that with every opposing team, but it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I like your optimism. <laughs> yeah, right. No chance. No chance. No, no shot. Uh, Ryan, it's always a pleasure to talk to somebody out of the Carolina bubble. I appreciate you taking time to join Greg and I here on the next level, on Inside Carolina's Next Level, to talk a little Minnesota, North Carolina football. Appreciate you guys having me. I'll see you in the press box on Saturday. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.